I'm Chad, one of the pastors here. This is James, also one of the pastors here. <clears throat> we have uh, just a, an awesome privilege this morning. Um, he's my brother. I'm and not leaving. He's someone, not. Someone said that in the first service. So. No, he's not leaving. Um, we are actually, um, one of the things that we love about our staff is um, we don't think about the positions, we think about the people. The people are the treasure for us. And so we kind of see it as our responsibility when somebody comes on staff or as an intern or whatever, like, Lord, what is our responsibility to help them grow and to serve and to find their place? And, and so James has been serving uh, here at Pleasant Valley in multiple roles um, early on, just as a volunteer, as an intern in college ministry, uh, student ministry now, we said for seven years, yes, so. at least seven years, um, but has started to feel a little stirring in his heart of expanding, and we've recognized those gifts as well. And so much to our students' uh, dismay, because they were like, what? Um, he is uh, transitioning from his role of pastor of teaching in student ministry to what we're calling associate pair, a pastor of care and discipleship. And he's going to be working with Pastor Joe and Pastor Daniel. Uh, where you will notice him the most is probably right out there as he's really going to think through how to make our next steps area kind of an, uh, a train depot home place for you to say, how can I grow? What's the next step I can take? Um, and we want him to be in that role. But we love to celebrate those things and we kind of want to commission. So first, I want to just thank him for all those years of serving student ministry. Can we thank him? And obviously we have the other better part of him, which is his wife, Kirsten, who is our director of children's ministry, but we love the Reynolds and we're so thankful for them. Um, and so we want to kind of commission him uh, and recognize this moment and our gratefulness and thankfulness to have him. And so I just wanted to know if you would pray with me and we'll pray for him and send him off on this journey here. Yeah. Lord, thanks uh, so much for our brother, James. Uh, Lord, I love to listen to him talk about you. I love to sit under his teaching. Uh, Lord, I love coming to him, Lord, with what do you think we should do here? And how about this person's heart and what they might need next, Lord? And he's someone that is just such um, a gift in the body of Christ. Because, Lord, he puts his heart and soul 100% into whatever you've put in front of him. And so, Lord, we recognize uh, this gift in him and are so thankful, Lord, that we continue to get to continue to have him uh, as a, a fellow laborer with us. We pray for a blessing, Lord, on his efforts, Lord, that it would just bring him a ton of joy. Um, we're so thankful for him, Jesus. And so we commission him by your spirit and ask for your blessing on his efforts in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I do want to say hey to everybody online as well. Hello. Um, we're thankful for you wherever you are, whatever you brought in this morning. Um, I know that if you're like me, you have ups and downs. I was talking to somebody after first service and some days are great and other days are not and difficult and you're anxious and worried and maybe worried about what people think of you and worried how you're going to get something solved. And so we come together on a Sunday morning to be the body of Christ together. And that's in various stages where everybody is needing something different. And so you may even be needing like somebody to wake you up because this guy's gonna put you to sleep. And this is just like sleepy time. And you're thinking about the game later today and you're wondering what's happening. And the Lord knows all of that. And he says, hey, I got you. 
I am here in this moment. I want to teach you. And there's something that we have in God's word. It's a been called one of the means of grace through preaching it and reading it and spending time with it. God uses it. Uh, I was reading an article this past week on the Bible and things, a lot of things that I'd heard before, but one really good thing that was um, just drawn to my attention. And so if you know anything about the Bible, one of the things that we say about it is that it is true. It is the ultimate source of truth. It is infallible, has ultimate authority, not only for this life, but it will be the, the truth that is held up against your life at the end of the age. It is inspired by God. It is God breathed every word, even the structure, the syllables. Jesus even said not one iota or dot. That's like us saying not one comma or period will pass away until it's all accomplished. But this guy pointed out in the article, and it was just so good for my heart as I was spending time with the Lord this week. He said this, God's word is also powerful, it has power. And so there's a verse, the word of God is living and active and sharp, sharp as a double-edged sword. In fact, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce down to the depth of those places you think you might be hiding from him and able to divide soul and spirit. I had a pastor that used to sit under it. He says, the Bible is the only sword you can stick in a dead man and he actually might come back to life. It knows how to get in there and find that place. It can be sometimes a victory like wartime sword and sometimes it's a scalpel and it's finding that place in you. And so that's what we wanna see God do this morning. And we've been in Luke's gospel, even if you're joining us um, just now, we've been in it a while, it doesn't matter. God knows exactly where you are. He knows what time it is in your life. And as we read a story, and you're going to see this, first, this story today in Luke chapter 8, it starts with, one day Jesus did this. And what I want you to know is God doesn't have people writing down the stories of like, oh yeah, this would be good. Throw this in there too. Just a kind of record of here's everything that happened, take it or leave it. God has actually orchestrated the way the gospel is put together. The fact that we're here on January 24th, 2021, God has orchestrated that Pleasant Valley, we would actually be in Luke, in Luke chapter eight, and that you would be sitting here and he has put this story in our path that we can hear from him the truth that he would give today. That's the kind of sovereignty. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about it being a sword. And even as you sit there, because you can kind of, I don't know if you do this, Prayer doesn't have to be like, everybody shut up, I'm gonna pray. Like I pray constantly, a lot of it's just conversation, just talking to the Lord. Um, I think I've mentioned a couple of weeks ago, like sometimes I'm just like out in the yard, like taking the dog out. And you're like, come on, do your thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, and we have a new puppy. And so it's like, everything's exciting. Snow is like, whoa, like it's not, you know, like last night I'm taking him out, I'm like, go to the bathroom. <laughs> He's like, this is amazing. Look at this snow. But sometimes I'm just standing there and I'm like, well, if I'm out here, Lord, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? What are you, what are you thinking about for me right now? What do you want to do in my heart and life? And so as you sit and as you listen, it may not be everything, but it may be one thing where God says that, that's for you. That's what you need to hear from me today. My word has found its mark as a sword. So if you have a Bible, 
Luke chapter 8, verse 22, famous story. You've probably heard, maybe seen it in a painting by Rembrandt of Jesus on a lake in a boat with a big storm. We're going to jump right in and set the scene, Luke 8, 22. And if you're watching online or have our app or whatever, you can find the text on there as well, or you can just listen. Here we go. One day, not just any day and not just a random story. Remember that. On purpose, God has this story for us today. He got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. So they set out and as they sailed, God fell asleep. He fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. They went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are dying. We're perishing. So this all starts with Jesus' invitation. Let's go on a little journey together. Let's travel to the other side of the sea. That's the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. It's 13 miles long, eight miles across. You can look and see the other side if it's a clear day. It's big lake, but it's not where you're looking at a horizon and you can't see land. So these guys cross it hundreds of times. They're fishermen and sailors. This is a regular part of their life. But here's what's happening though. And they've actually probably experienced a few storms, but Jesus knows that a big one is coming. A big one. And he says, let's go. And if you could put it in parentheses, let's go anyway. So they get in the boat and God has on purpose. And I want you to think about this for your own life on purpose sent them into a storm. Now you may think, no, 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 no. Bad things are just like Satan. That's just enemy. I was just reading this past week, Joseph, you know, with his brothers in Egypt years later. And what does he say? God sent me here. Now they had sold him into slavery. God sent me here. God looks at your life. Think about this. God is able to see your life 1,000 years into eternity or two or 10. He sees that reality. What will you have done in heaven after 1,000 years? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have some serious good food because Jesus made this whole thing of food and recipes and savory and salt and sweet. And he knows like how your taste buds work. And when he says marriage supper of the lamb, we're not gonna be sitting around eating air. It's gonna be really good food, stuff you've never had before. So after a thousand years, man, I've been to all kinds of cafes and restaurants and stuff in heaven. Like it's, it's been amazing. I've met all these people I wanted to talk to. It's becoming around. Jesus sees that today. You knowing that you know, because all it's going to take is about a split second of you being there going, I get it. I get it. Why I thought this was great. No, not even close. He sees a thousand years. And so as he looks at your life today and he looks at the storms that he is sending your way, even sometimes just yes, allowing, but sending you into nonetheless in his sovereignty, he says, yeah, but I see something else for you. I see a, a further goal. I see something that you can't see. Yes, so let's go. Let's go into the storm. He's got the long view. But this passage isn't just about what Jesus sees. It's about what the disciples are seeing. And what they're seeing is a huge 
storm. And I love the way the ESV, the English Standard Version wrote this. Um, it says, they were filling with water. They were filled. Now I know it's, it means obviously that the boat was filling up and they were all in the boat together. But have you ever felt that? Where you feel like I can't take it one more thing. <laughs> I am filling up, Lord, I can't take this. I was thinking about the waves. I have tried to surf a few times. My father-in-law, Lisa's dad, Scott, is a lifelong Huntington Beach, California surfer. Um, so my wife's from Huntington Beach. They live in Charleston, South Carolina now. He had to move to another ocean. But his whole life, he is, like you think, where were all of those brands that we all in Tennessee and Minnesota are like, yeah, Billabong and all these cool things. Look at that, I got this O'Neill hat. You know, like, this is awesome surfer stuff. Like, that's where all these things were made. Like, this is like normal clothes for them. So he's a surfer. He knows how to surf. And so when I met Lisa and I went out there for the first time, he's like, hey, you want to learn how to surf? And I'm like, yeah, be awesome. So here's what learning how to surf meant. Getting up stinking early, super early. And the only thing that made it amazing is on the way to the beach, we stopped and got a donut. <laughs> Every, they have amazing donut shops. It's like a Blado's on every corner and everybody's got a different little take. And so we get the donut and this is what it meant to go out. We stand on the beach like this and it's cold. It's cold. We're standing there. We got coffee, donut, and Scott would just look. And I look at him. I'm like, mm-hmm. And what's he doing? He's looking at the waves. He's studying the waves. Is it a good day or a bad day? Many times it was a bad day and I was glad for that bad day. Because that meant we could go back home and all it cost was a little loss of sleep, but I got a donut and coffee. Because whenever we did go out, it was so hard. It's not like, you know, you go to the Atlantic, you've been down to Florida or something like that, and you get in with a raft and you do a little body surfing and you can get out there and kind of, you know, do this little number when a wave comes, you jump and it's fun. You get in the Pacific, if you get on a surfboard and you got to go out there, you get, first you got to get out past the break to the waves that aren't don't have the white caps. That's where the good surfing is. And so you're paddling out and then here comes this huge wave and you can't just be like, oh yeah, I'll just, I'll just ride the top of this thing over. I tried that. That doesn't work. Like the board hits you in the face. You're just spinning around under the water. You have to do this thing called a duck dive and you get up on top of the, so you're paddling, paddling, exhausted, totally exhausted. You get up on top of the board and you push down and you make yourself like this and the wave crashes over you. And it kind of rocks you. And then you start paddling again. Isn't this fun? That's kind of how I felt. I would just get pounded. And so when I finally catch a wave, and it's not even a big wave. It's like maybe three feet. It feels huge to me because I'm used to the Atlantic. I'm used to the Gulf of Mexico, like nothing big. So then maybe four or five. And I remember one time I got up on one, it was maybe four feet, nothing, just nothing to what these guys normally surf. And I'm like, this is huge. 20 feet, 20 foot waves is what the disciples probably experienced on this boat. Tw like that is a building size. That's, that's why they're freaking out. It's going to kill us. They're afraid. They were filling with water. What is that? water level for you right now in your life? Just name something in your head. Think about it. Is it worry, anxiety, 
about the future feel like this, you know, those scenes in movies where you see the person in the car and the car's filling up with water and they're like, oh, we only have a few more breaths left. What is that for you? Is it a child who's wayward? Is it a spouse, a marriage that's in trouble? Maybe physical needs, financial things where you're waiting for God to provide. He's not answering. He's sleeping. He's not listening. Maybe it's just a cloud, just a cloud over your heart and mind that just feels like dark. What is that? For the disciples, it's, and now it's a real storm. It's actually in their face. They're getting pelted with the water. The waters, the boat is being rocked. And Jesus is sleeping, sleeping. The one that the Bible tells us never sleeps, neither slumbers nor sleeps is asleep. He's tired. I love when the Lord gets me. And usually what happens is, so about a week, like probably sometime tomorrow, I'll start looking at the passage for this next Sunday. And usually I just, I throw it in the crock pot. I was telling Carl about this this week. Like I throw it in the crock pot of my heart. And I'll be like in bed at night, can't go to sleep or walk on the dog, you know, whatever I'm doing. And I'm asking the Lord, tell me about this. Like, I know it's about the boat. I know it's about you sleeping. Tell me about this. And he led me to Genesis. I was like, what? Genesis. And I was drawn to it as kind of this companion story to go with today's. That's not an unusual thing because Jesus is the one who said, you know, the Old Testament thing, it's all about me. It's all about me. And he was there. But as I read that Jesus was asleep, I also read, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis 1, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Chaos, storms, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Well, now that makes this little passage different for me. That takes it to a whole new level because what was God about to do in Genesis when he was just hovering over chaos and darkness and storms? He was about to create the earth out of nothing from scratch. He was about to fling stars with his voice and to cause Mount Everest Mount Everest. If you ever watch those documentaries where all those people die and they're passing frozen bodies all the time. I love those. Not the bodies, but I love those documentaries. <clears throat> Jesus just said, Everest. <laughs> all of it. The thing that everybody's like, oh, you have to do that. That's the greatest thing ever. He just did it. Just spoke it. That's what he was about to do. That's where he was sleeping in the bow of the boat, hovering over the waters. He's going to create the world from scratch. What if in the moment of our storms and we saw Jesus sleeping and we felt the spray of the sea in our face and the pelting of the rain, instead of fear, we said, oh man, what is he about to do? What's about to happen? Watch the fireworks, because if the creator is asleep, something amazing is about to happen. When it comes to our own storms, 
we'd start to realize that Jesus is looking at a thousand years into the future and he's got serious purpose for this storm. He's got serious purpose for this time of indecision and not knowing what's happening. But that's not what we do. (laughs) We don't do that. We don't go, yeah, I'm facing this huge storm, lost my job, this is going on. We don't say, I wonder what God's doing. It's gonna be great. God works all things together for, sometimes when people do that, we, we rightly say, stop. Don't give me that verse. Don't give me that verse. I'll give me, my, I'll give me that verse later when I want to read that verse. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, don't tell me to be joyful. I'm not joyful. I'm upset. God is asleep. God is asleep. Because for the disciples, they walked up to Jesus and they're like, hey, master, can you, uh, is that what they did? No. They yelled, they freaked out. There were sailors on board. I can imagine that, you know, that moment in between sleep and awake, that there was like a little moment where Jesus is hearing some rustling around and some craziness. And the guys are like, and every once in a while he heard like maybe a couple of bleep, bleep, bleep. You imagine Jesus laying there and he's like, what? Did you just say that? I think they freaked out and said, we are dying. We're perishing, which you read that and you got to think this story's a couple other places. Come on, boys, say what you really mean. You go to Mark's gospel and it's spoken with a little more grit and vinegar. You know what they say? Why don't you care that we're dying? Oh, there it is. There it is. Right there. That's prayer right there. Now we're cooking with gas. Okay. They're telling Jesus. So if you talk to Jesus that way about your storms, what is he going to do? What should he do? If we talk back to our parents that way sometimes, look out, right? What should they expect? How does Jesus deal with them? What maybe a lightning bolt should pop out? A little final note on the end of the storm. (laughs) I'm sorry, Lord. I didn't mean to say that. Maybe a little Job situation where you get a few boils and sores. I'm sorry, Lord. You know, like, what is it? How does he respond? What do they deserve for their lack of trust and tiny faith for the sass and edge in their voice? Well, let's see. Verse 24, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. That word is very specific for the wind and the waves. He rebukes them. He chides them. He calls them down like children. But to the disciples, he says, it's a different word. He rebuked the waves. Now let me speak to you. Where is your faith? Not a rebuke. Where's your faith? They were afraid because That wind and that wave, the raging storm just went. They're afraid. And they marveled and said to one another, who is this? Who is this that even wind and water obey him? He just says the word and they do it. They do it instantly. So my first question when I read this, 
this week, and this is kind of how it happens when you read God's word. I've read this story hundreds of times, but I've never asked this question. Does God need to be awakened? Do we need to pray in such a way to wake him up? Is he off the clock every once in a while? Does he get distracted? Does he forget? It's like, oh yeah, Winona. <laughs> I mean, like sometimes you feel like that way. It's like, oh, I forgot about that. Sugar loaf, yeah, got it. Like, does God need to be awakened? Do we have to yell loud enough for him to hear? Bible says no. Bible says no. So the mechanics though of God incarnate, fully God, fully man, we don't know how that works. Fully God knows the thoughts of people. with the stuff we've seen so far. Heals people, raises the dead, easy. Multiplies fish and bread, makes wine out of water, casts out demons, etc. <laughs> you know, God stuff. That's, he's fully God at all times. At all times. Even Philippians 2, though, says he emptied himself. It doesn't mean he emptied himself of his godness. It means he emptied himself of his rights as God. And that's where the fully man part comes in because fully man, he was a baby. He had to learn to talk, how to walk. Imagine this, Jesus like holding Joseph and Mary's hands learning to walk, had his diapers changed. He was potty trained. No, Jesus, we don't do that in our first century underwear. We go out back. Like, think about it. He had to learn how to be a carpenter. Probably hit his thumb a few times. Joseph was teaching him. He got tired. And when he got tired, he slept. He got hungry. And when he got hungry, he ate. He became killable. Fully God, fully man. So all we have is scripture and that's what we use to interpret scripture. And so when we see Jesus and if we believe what the Bible says about him, he doesn't ever need to be awakened to do something. He is never, ever late. He's always on time. Yes, he's tired and sleeping, but do you think he wasn't aware of the storm coming? or exactly at the moment it would come. And we've been reading all these passages about him hearing everybody's thoughts. Don't you think he knows what's gonna happen in nature? Yeah, he knows exactly. In fact, if we read the Bible and we believe the Bible about what Jesus knows, here's what I think. I think he gets in the boat and he's like, 40 minutes, about 40 minutes, I can get a nap in. <laughs> he sleeps because he knows when the storm is gonna hit. He knows he's got a window. He's walking around in this skin and it's hard. He's feeling it. And so he's gonna give a little, get a little shut eye in. So when he does respond, let's go back to our Genesis story. Okay, here's the spirit of God hovering over the waters. And let's realize that God is waking up. Waking up. God is coming out of sleep. And that is God, the creator. So what happened when he woke up? And God said, right from Genesis, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, that's all it took to create. And it's all it's gonna take, we're gonna see, to bring order from chaos. God speaks to the storm with creative power and with kingly authority. He rebukes it. 
He chides it. He orders the storm, stand down. Now in this passage, it just says he rebukes the storm. We go to Mark, our grit and vinegar gospel, and we get what he said. Quiet, be still. Calm, instant peace and stillness. What had been 20 foot waves bashing and battering the boat are now little puppies with their tails between their legs that are just like lapping the side. Don't touch, don't touch the wood too much. Just obey. I think at the moment that he spoke that the molecules that make up H2O, two hydrogen, one oxygen, that they all said, everybody listen up. And that after he spoke and calmed everybody down, I think they were just like a little, you know, fizzy, fizzy, and, and just nobody move. Nobody move. We know that voice. I think the moment he spoke that every fish in that lake stood at attention and said, and I think after he spoke in the calm, I think that the fish that were around the boat were potentially swimming in cadence with their tails flipping at the cadence of his heartbeat. Because that's who he is. When God speaks, creation listens. You think there were a few mouths open on the boat? Yeah. Because it wasn't, a lot of times you see miracles, they try to explain away miracles. Like Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea. There's like all these theories of like, well, it probably took all night and that's actually in a shallow place. And, you know, just kind of took forever. And I'm like, that's not what it says. It says that it stood up the wall of water on either side and that the way it came back down was enough so that an Egyptian couldn't run out and being like, well, this is going to take 24 hours to clear. I guess I'll just make it back to Egypt. No. So when it says that he does something, he does it. He does it. And it doesn't mean it was a tiny rainstorm and it just happened to stop raining. Oh, look what I did. 20 foot waves become glass. Glass. So yeah, a few mouths open. Why is this important? Why is this important to ask these questions and to see Jesus in this way? Because if the wind and the waves obey his voice, and if the fish and every creature obeys his voice, what will the people do? What will the people do? And Luke, who penned this gospel with the Holy Spirit, goes, ah, yes, yes, that is the question. Now, his question to them was not a rebuke. It was like a master teacher, somebody who knows exactly where all of the students are and what they need to get them to ask another question that's going to go deeper. And when he says, where is your faith? He knows they're going to ask the question. They're going to ask the question, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey. And Luke will continue to put this question in front of you as long as it takes. Because that's the purpose of the gospels, this purpose of scripture to get you to ask the question, who is this man? The disciples, though clumsy, short-sighted in their faith, still do what we should all do. They wake him up. They ask him for help. They know they need help. They don't know what to ask, but they know who to ask. So they ask Jesus. 
But what if you don't have the faith even to do that this morning? What if your faith is so, so non-existent and small that you can't even muster up a, hey, wake up, Jesus? What if you're so trapped? What if you don't come to Jesus? Well, he comes to you. Verse 26, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And you're like, oh, that's what the boat trip was for. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he'd worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. We turned graves into gardens. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and said with a loud voice, how's this for theological accuracy? Ready? Demon possessed guy. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He probably said it with a little bit of spit too. Accurate, knows exactly who he is. I beg you, do not torment me. Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And then we get a little parenthetical here. Many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. He would break those chains and be driven by the demon into the desert. So Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, legion, for we and this is another passage that says, we are many. Many demons had entered him. So if you go with just measurements of the time, a Roman, whatever legion, was somewhere between three and 6,000 soldiers. This guy has thousands of demons. Thousands. We are many. They begged him, this is interesting, not to command them to depart into the abyss. Anybody know where you hear that word? Which book? Revelation, revelation, a real place, something that has significance in the future, in the future judgment. Don't send us there yet. They know that they know who this is. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. They begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. We can't do anything unless he gives permission. The demons come out of the man entered the pigs, the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. We began with the chaos of the storm, Jesus sending, actually calling the disciples right into the middle of it while he sleeps. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then he spoke, he calmed the storm, he tamed the waters, brought them under his creative control. If you know the creation story, creation ultimately isn't about dirt, flowers, animals, trees, stars, mountains, sunsets, sunrise. It isn't about that. What's it about? Day six, and the Lord God formed the man and the woman. He, that is his peace de resistance. It is his like, watch me do this now. This is what I want people to see. This is what will be, this is my treasure. This is my child. Those other things are great, but I made those things for them. Spirit of God hovering over the waters. God speaks, but ultimately it always, always leads to a person. The Lord God formed the man and breathed into him the breath of life. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is focused on one man here whose life is a storm for sure. 
and he's here to confront it. He's here to breathe life into the man because as soon as he steps on the land, I find this really interesting, just the way this is laid out. As soon as he steps on the land, he is met by the guy, like right there. And if you go there and where they actually think this was, it's kind of up a little ways away from the lake. They found some tombs up in the hillside. It's pretty, pretty good hike. Jesus steps onto the boat or from the boat onto the land and he's right there confronting him. Why? Because this battle has been going on since Eden. This is a spiritual battle. Demons know exactly who he is. And this isn't like they have had occupied territory in this guy for a long time. What does that tell us? Every human being is a beachhead to Jesus that he will have to land on and take out the enemy to come. And now the thing is he's accomplished that he's taken out the enemy. There's part of us coming to him, but every heart is a Normandy coast to Jesus. Every heart is a Normandy coast to Jesus. Now to those who think, well, why don't he just leave him alone? You hear that a lot from people who say you need, you need Jesus. They're like, no, I don't. I'm fine without him. I'm good. I can hang back. Maybe I don't want Jesus to come and free me. Maybe I like my naked life and chains and what I'm doing here. People definitely try this. They'll even say, like if you, World War II, French people, Belgium, Dutch, Polish people, there were lots of them who said, the Nazis aren't that bad. We can do this. We'll work together. Even the prime minister of England, Neville Chamberlain, before Churchill, went back to his country and he's like, yeah, I've talked to Hitler. He's okay. He's okay. Now we all go, because we know what happened. It's kind of what Luke and Jesus want you to do when you think about not following Jesus, not submitting to his command is to say, there is no option. There is no option to kind of fly down the middle and just say, yeah, it's not really for me. Many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. He would break the bonds, be driven by the demon into the desert. It doesn't look like a life of freedom to me. Nevertheless, the demons say, what do we have? What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In other words, I know who you are. I know what you require. I know what you're capable of. Please just leave me alone. Can't you see I'm fine without you? Yeah, you look fine. It's ironic that the legion of demons, thousands of demons and the wind and the waves know exactly who Jesus is. But remember the disciples question? Who is this? <laughs> who is this? The question is there for us. Do not send us into the abyss. They know their destination. They know that Jesus will eventually confine them to the abyss with Satan. Um, it's Revelation 9 and 20, if you're interested. So they beg him. That's all they can do. They beg him, please let us go into those pigs. So the guy's standing there naked with scars, blood, and dirt, and chains, and he's free with all these demons. May we see that image when we think about not following Jesus. So Jesus in his mercy and in his role as creator intervenes. He comes in to recreate. That's the purpose. He was there in the beginning creating us. The fall distorted, twisted, broke, tore us apart. Jesus comes back to recreate, to fix it, to mend it. So he gives the demons permission. The gospel of Mark tells us that was 2,000 pigs. It's a lot of bacon running down the hill. 
And just imagine it. And just craziness running into the water. The storm that is this man's life, the chaos, the darkness, the disorder, isn't just a story to make you go, wow, Jesus can help even the worst people. That's not what it's there for. It's to get you to be asking the questions, who is this man? Who is this man? Will I respond to him? So there's always an after what happens next part to any good story. In verse 34, as we finish is kind of the, the final part here. Let's read it. The herdsmen saw what had happened. They fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. Where do you get those clothes? Think Jesus probably knew somebody's gonna need to bring along an extra one? Give him some clothes. Clothed in his right mind, they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country, the Gerasenes, said, Jesus, you're amazing and you should stay and we would love to have you. Get out. Get out. They asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. But as he's trying to leave, the man from whom the demons had gone is begging Jesus, please let me go with you. Please let me go with you. Jesus says, no. Interesting. Return home. Tell everybody. Tell everybody how much God has done for you. Another instance of Jesus confirming who he is. Tell them what God has done for you. He went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. After God creates in the Genesis story, there's a refrain, something that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit say to each other. God creates the sun and moon and stars. And what do they say? And it was good. It was good. So it's the same refrain here. We've seen Jesus hover, sleep, He's spoken, he's commanded, he's right there in the middle. He's recreating, he's forming, reforming people. He's going after their hearts. And then the only thing left to say is, and it was, but it wasn't for everybody. It wasn't for everybody. The herdsman said, dude, we just lost 2000 bacon prophets, pork tenderloin. Like we're, we're out of that money. We don't care about that guy. We're out of this, get out, leave. Jesus, unless you can help me with this, what I want, what I desire, leave. I don't care about his heart. Uh, the people from the city, Jesus, leave. We're afraid of you. But the man from whom the demons had gone, he answers that question, it was, it is, it is good. It's amazing. Look at what God has done in my life. Please, please let me stay with you. Do you want to know how it's the real thing? Do you want to know how you know him? That's what you want. That's what you want. I got to be with you. I got to be with you. Yeah, this is hard, but I got to be with you. I can't do this life without you. 
Ironically, Jesus says no, but it's only because he's still working. And I love this. I love this. This guy wasn't trained. He didn't go to school. He didn't get affirmed by some board of people who said, yeah, we think you can go. He didn't raise support. He is the first missionary. He's the first missionary. This is Gentile territory. How do we know that? Pigs. Jews don't have pigs. (laughs) Okay. This is Gentile territory. And Jesus says, I am sending you. Are you sure I'm ready? Oh, I'm sure you're ready. I'm sure you're ready because I did the work. Just tell people. So here's what I want, I want to leave you with. Imagine it's years later, generations later. So let's say this naked guy, okay? Naked guy, he's probably got scars on his arms, hands from the cuts and all that stuff. But he's clothed now. Say so he gets married, has family, has a son. He gets married. They have a son. He gets married. They have a daughter. And she's heard this story. And let's say she has come to know Jesus as her creator, as her Lord, as her savior. Jesus has returned to heaven at this point. So she's kind of like us. She's just hearing about it secondhand. But I can hear her telling her children and saying, listen, let me tell you a story about the way your great, great, great grandfather used to live naked in tombs, in a graveyard. Kids, come on. We're going to the graveyard today. Let me tell you about your great, great, great grandfather. Used to live here naked, break chains with his bare hands. Like you just did the story. And then one day, God of the universe, creator of everything, got out of a boat. What? Imagine those kids listening stepped onto the land and set your great, great, great grandfather free. And I heard the story and I've accepted him. That's how it works. That's some of the beauty of Jesus because he said, yes. Jesus said, will you go back and tell everybody? Yeah, I'll do that. All those other people get out, leave. We're running. We don't want you around. How about you? Because think about it. Who was he talking to when he went back to talk to people? Those people. Oh man, I got to talk to the herdsmen, the pig farmers. I don't want to talk to those guys. They're mad about this whole Jesus thing. Go tell them. Go tell them about me. Just as the demons responded, begged, honestly, they had to. Just as the wind and the waves, disciples would eventually get it. They would answer that question, who is this? This guy responds to his creator, his designer, his maker. His soul resounds with heaven to marvel at God's work of recreation, redemption, grace. And of his own life, he says, oh, it was good. Lots of storms for sure, but it was good. And if that is something that you want to be able to say about your own life, simple. Whether you've been walking with him for a long time or you're considering walking with him, every day is yes to Jesus. Pastor Brandon, still a really good friend of mine. One of the things he used to say around here was, listen to Jesus, do what he says. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I plan on sitting down at one of those great meals with this guy who used to live naked in the tombs. And I want to hear about this event. I want to hear about what it was like to see you 
after he was free. Lord, I want to talk to the disciples. I want to hear about how big those waves were. And I want to hear what it felt like that moment they realized that the one who created the water, the one who spoke wood into existence, the one who designed the properties of physics, of putting together a craft that could actually sit on the water and the viscosity and all that crazy stuff I don't know a lot about, um, that he was in the boat. He was in the boat. Lord, it's amazing who you are. And even, even with what we are seeing and facing in our world right now, Lord, I, I know that I know we're going to be fine. If we're with you, Jesus, if you're in the boat with us, if you're leading, you're directing, we're saying yes, we're going to be fine. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you can be trusted. Lord, we thank you that your promises, what we read about today, the truth that we read about in this story is yes and amen for us as well. It's yes and amen for us. Let it be according to your word in our lives as well. God, this week, would we sense your presence? Would we sense your boat landing on our beachhead? God, would our defenses fall easily? Would we hear your voice? Would we listen? Would we worship? Would we beg to be with you? Would we listen to your call when you send us out? We love you, Jesus. Minister to us now as we sing together. Amen. Why don't we stand?